0: The Blob is back in a horrifying new adventure, and you are there, startled, stunned, terrified as the blood-red creature rolls over and eats everything in its path. Beware, The Blob, starring Robert Walker, Gwynne Guilford. Beware, Godfrey Cambridge. Beware, Carol oh, Lindley, Beware, Shelley Berman. You would like a haircut? The four hundred
1: dollars. All right, welcome to Seventy Movies We Saw in the Seventies, episode two. I'm Mike McPadden, author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Joining me is Ben Reiser, uh, film
0: programmer with uh, UW Madison. Also uh just an all
1: around what they call bon vivant. <laughs> they do. Accurately. Yeah. So uh let's just reintroduce the concept of this uh episode of this whole podcast. Wait, I wanna can I just wanna read this email you sent me an sure. hour ago.
0: Yeah. Mike said this is an hour before we're recording today's podcast After a re-listen, I think we need to get right to the movies as we go forward (laughs) All the loose reminiscing is great But I think we should work it into the discussion of the film Then save space at the end to just talk non-movie stuff So you're saying spending 40 minutes talking about (laughs) anything but films On the first podcast of our podcast entitled 70 Movies We Saw in the 70s Was maybe not the best idea?
1: Well, I think it was a good idea, but not the best. Maybe
0: I think yeah. it was it was stupid. It was really stupid. I'm amazed that as many people listened to it as they did, but I'm with you. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Go on with your intro. All right. So Sorry, to interrupt. That.
1: <laughs> no, no, that that was a proper modulation. That was a proper uh, interruption. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, we'll reintroduce the concept uh, The podcast was inspired by a 1972 photo of five-year-old Ben Reiser and his grandmother Outside a Times Square movie theater showing Conquest of the Planet of the Apes Which was, in theory, which was the subject of the second half of our first episode Yeah. Uh, so both Ben and I grew up as obsessive movie kids in 1970s New York City, specifically in Brooklyn uh, So this show is all about us revisiting the movies we saw at that time that were essential in making us who we are So these are the objects to blame for us Yes And uh, we're going to kick off this episode with uh, Beware the Blob from 1972 Larry Hagman's Beware the Blob A.K.A. the film JR. shot As it was uh, promoted in an early 80s uh, VHS release With an incredibly ugly cover It was Son of Blob retitled do you remember the cover of the guy holding the cross up to the blob? I, I
0: don't, because once I saw this movie probably four or five times on TV yeah. in the 70s, I never saw it again until yesterday. But I this is something I wanted to ask you. I remember it as Son of Blob. Are you, was it not advertised as Son of Blob on
1: Channel 9? I remember it as both. Okay. Uh, I definitely remember Beware the Blob, and I definitely saw it four or five times, probably the exact same four or five times. Rebroadcasts on Channel Nine. W O R W O R. Yeah. Yes, which was uh, the which was New York's uh, horror movie station. Well,
0: this is what I wanted to ask you because we grew yeah. up. I mean, it was a we had a, a bounty of riches. What's the phrase?
1: <laughs> you got it. A bounty of riches. We had an embarrassment of an riches. embarrassment
0: of riches. That's what I was. Yes. thinking. Um, in that uh, we only had broadcast TV growing up. Right. This was pre-cable, uh, but. But in New York City we had we had all these independent stations. We had Channel Eleven, W P I X,
1: right. Channel
0: Nine, W O R, Channel Five, which was W N E
1: W. At that time. Then yeah. when it was Fox, it was W N Y W. Yeah.
0: But then we also had like the local network affiliates, like ABC right. Channel Seven, W A B C, which honestly, for me, that was the bread and butter because they had the four thirty movie every afternoon. Right. And that was that was my go to. And if there yep. was something, if there was something like a historical epic on a, on the four thirty movie that was going to take, because these so this would be an hour and a half time slot, right, four thirty to six, yeah. and then with a half an hour of commercials, at most you were going to get an hour of the movie. And, right. and so anything anything over an hour was split into two days. Yeah, they
1: they uh, yeah, and then
0: Spread they did a lot out. of and like Ben Hur would be the yeah, whole week. Ben Hur be the whole week. El Cid would be the whole week. Right and I would L bail on those and so then I would <laughs> then I would check the TV guide <laughs> And actually I was looking at a TV guide today and I sent you this one and it looked like channel 9 their afternoon movie started at four o'clock and actually they had, had a, and
1: it was called the four o'clock movie four
0: o'clock movie and they had a two hour time slot. so chances right. are you could you could watch a whole movie especially something like beware of the blob in one sitting. but a question I had for you and I'm I, I would be surprised if you had the answer is there any way is there like a rhyme or reason behind which channels had which movies? Like is there such I a thing? I don't think so. It, I think to it
1: me, was just who paid for what? Yeah, yeah, but
0: but it was sort of random. It wasn't like PX oh, had a I will say this.
1: Yeah, uh, Channel Nine. When I say that was the horror channel. Yeah, they uh, there's a book. It's very expensive, but it's worth it. About Fright Night, which was their one AM horror showcase on Saturdays,
0: uh-huh. which was
1: like right after SNL. You go over to Channel Nine, uh, and they write they go into the uh, machinations of WOR, and they really wanted to and like they were horror fans there the guys that were programming they came very close to showing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Uh and then like and then they said we could show it with no cuts which would freak everybody out mm. and um but then they like right before they, they were gonna air it they were like we can't show this <laughs> and you know like HBO has never shown that movie and isn't that why it shows all the sequels that's so weird yeah. Um, although that
0: is a movie I saw in the 70s, and we should talk about that at some point. Um, yeah. At the College Theater, I believe. Um, which I saw it in 1981 at the College oh, okay. Theater. Well, it could have been yeah. 81 by the
1: time I saw it. I don't you know, know what? I want to say, like for, in my mind, the, the 70s goes to the end of 82. Okay. So we're going to count <laughs> 80, 81,
0: and 82. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, I, I can still yeah. remember sitting in the second row of the college theater and hearing um, a voice that turned out to be John Larroquette start that movie and those series of um, flash bulbs going off and those sort of still images,
1: uh, it doesn't get any more terrifying than that. Holy moly. No, that was a movie a couple of friends and I snuck into uh, because it was rated, of course, R, and I kept my eyes closed almost the entire time and took about 20 bathroom breaks. So I didn't really see it until it was on video. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I I didn't take any bathroom breaks, but I wish I had in retrospect. Um, okay. We're going to get back to Beware of the Blob in a second. But I just want to say, so, okay, I'll let Channel 11, Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 5, CBS, Channel 2, I think had some movies. They, they had late night movies and
1: I think they had some movies on they the They had weekend. the CBS late movie, but then they also had the Sunday afternoon, Sunday movie afternoon. with the animated yes. opening with the da na 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 That's a great one. With Charlie Chaplin, and, and we'll put this all on social media, and I, I will be more on top of the social media. I had four teeth pulled shortly after we recorded last week. So. Sorry, I I, I I actually spent a couple
0: bucks on Facebook and boosted a, a post, and we oh, had, like, thousands right. of likes and views,
1: and we're all oh, set. But um, Million Dollar Movie, what, what channel was that? That was Channel 9. Oh, okay. Now, you know the story behind that was before we were born in the 60s, they would show one movie five nights in a row for one week. So it, that was the idea. And, of course, you know, so they would have it would be I always heard King Kong, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Those are the movies that my relatives remember, like watching and then rewatching for their favorite parts. And that's really built uh, cults around. Why those do you think it was called the thing. Million Dollar Movie? It was a lot of bucks back then, <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> I think that's it. it sounds good. Uh huh. Okay. You know, and and the opening was the "Gone with the Wind" theme with the photograph, the the various film eight millimeter films of New York City stock. Footage. Yeah, which is to me now almost as haunting as the uh, the the, the chiller, chiller on Channel Eleven. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Um. Okay, but I want to say for I'll these channels have the following associations for me. And they always will. All channel right. Eleven and Costello
1: Sunday mornings And the TV show Yeah
0: Yes You're more I think this is an interesting thing Because and Costello Is another Bond between us But I think you're more yes. You're more and Costello TV show A hundred percent I love the movies But I Worship the yeah, television see I'm the opposite I mean I love the TV show But it's the movies right. That I return to all the time The TV show is Is insane Uh but one thing I discovered about the Abbott and Costello movies in recent years, when they got finally got released on DVD, and now they're on Blu-ray, I need to get that Blu-ray set. Was that again, Channel Eleven would would put these things in ninety-minute time slots, and if the movie was yep. eighty minutes, they'd hack off the first five, maybe ten minutes of the movie. And I, in recent years, I've seen the beginnings of these twenty Abbott and Costello movies that I'd never seen before, and it was like
1: that's amazing because I've never seen an Abbott, well, except for Meet Frankenstein. Yeah. I've never seen one on
0: disc. Yeah, you need to. There's there's missing scenes yeah. from those Channel Eleven broadcasts. Wow. Okay, wow. Channel wow. Eleven, Abbott and Costello. Channel Nine was yeah. say Beware the Blob. Uh, right. Channel Five for me was Bowery Boys, which was yes. on.
1: That was also that was a Sunday afternoon. Well, noon.
0: I think did it did it was it was it at the same time sort of as Abbott and Costello. Did you have to pick one?
1: In general, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello was like. Was like ten thirty to twelve, and yeah. then East Side Comedy, as it was called, right. that would come on either at noon or one o'clock. Usually, so. I'll
0: tell you, I wasn't allowed to watch the Bowery Boys. Um, that was like one of the one of the two TV shows I remember. My parents putting the <laughs> yeah. putting their their foot down and not letting me watch. And it was the Bowery Boys. And they and when I asked them why, they said it was too stupid. Like they were totally fine with that, <laughs> though, but Bowery Boys was too stupid. <laughs> Uh, although I've I've since caught up with Bowery Boys and I, I love the Bowery Boys. I don't yeah, know stupid yeah. at all. Um, and then the other thing with the other show, yeah, the other show was Speed Racer. Oh, <laughs> that was I remember you watch. telling me then a third show. Oh, okay. What's the third
1: show? Hee Haw. Oh, yes. Yeah. Was too stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Which I love. Like one of my favorite things is like when something, either a song or a TV show or a movie, is too stupid and it really freaks people out. And uh, Mike, I was with my beloved Granny Mackie on uh, East Nineteenth Street, and we were watching Sha and they had like records on their head, and they were doing the twist like we 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 whoa. whoa and she reached for the remote control, <laughs> like get it like get it off, get it off, get it off get it, like the full George C. Scott and hardcore and she dropped the cigarette in her mouth into her chair, <laughs> then yells at me, Michael, go get water! And she's desperately fumbling to get Shauna out This is one of my most cherished childhood memories. Um, so let's keep going. So Channel 5 to me is, um, yeah, geez, what comes to, I mean, little rascals right away. Oh, was but that I know when Channel we were five? real yeah. little, yeah, when, I were really, when we were really little, they were on Channel 11, mm. and then they hopped mm. over. Channel 11 also had the Three Stooges.
0: Now, Channel 7, of course, is 4.30 movie. And I want to say, for me, the ultimate 4.30 movie, not that I think I ever actually watched it, but it felt like it was on every third week, was
1: uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. And that would be one of those five-parters. Yeah, that was a 5 part. That was a, yeah, no. We got to make sure something else is on today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You could go watch Batman or something. Um, And then... uh, yeah, well, that's it. What are not know, ones? NBC? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, they didn't have any. I don't, did NBC have any movies, Channel 4? They had overnight movies. Well, well, this is the thing. Oh, right. is you never that their Commercial time, to- right, I stayed up on that, but commercial time was regulated by the government, mm-hmm. and I believe it was like you could only have 16 minutes an hour. Ah. And the tragedy, above anything, like the greatest political tragedy in my estimation in history was the Reagan administration deregulated that, which allowed for infomercials. Mm. Which I discovered when we I was at SUNY Purchase in September, and because I was not like partying or with girls or anything, I went to uh, watch Fright Night one Saturday night, and Home Shopping was mm-hmm. on instead, and that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was so they had to fill the schedules. Channel Seven showed a lot of movies all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all had overnight movies, and um, yeah, and then Channel Thirteen, which was PBS, they had cool movies too. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, they had, um, they also had American Playhouse. They had those, Channel 13 had those adaptations of the Gene Shepard stories. Right. That are so much better, in my opinion, than that effing Christmas story. <laughs>
1: like Ollie uh, Hop Noodle's Haven of Bliss. Yeah, um. The Phantom of the Open Hearth. Right, right. Fantastic. With James Broderick is uh, yes. the old man. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great. And, and with Gene Shepard narrating those as well, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Gene Shepard, so we should say Gene Shepard, who everybody knows from A Christmas Story, which is a movie I like a lot. Um, he was on, I never heard, oh, well, yeah. He, so from f- 1955 to 1977, he was on WOR Radio. Uh, you know, the show was just an hour. Just he was a storyteller, and that's what A Christmas Story is, an adaptation of his stories about growing up in Indiana. I used. To, did he go to another station after W.O.R. in 77? Because I used to listen to him. But, you know, he might have. I mean, or had specials and things like that. Because he was a very, you know, initially he was a big beatnik thing. And then so he was always, he always had counterculture heroes. So I would imagine he did stuff with rock stations, with like WNEW. And- yeah,
0: no, I only, I heard know, him on AM and, and as a, and as a right. storyteller. I never heard him with any
1: guests or anything. It was always just
0: those right. stories.
1: The best. He's the best. Yeah, no, he never had guests, yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, no, he did though. You know, like I think he had two guests. One of them was John Cassavetes. Oh
0: wow!
1: Which you know, in Shadows, that one of the opening credits is "Thank you to Gene Shepard's Night People." They because uh, he raised money to help finance the movie. So. Well, we are we are talking a lot about movies so far. This no, is no, no, that's not yeah, movies. No. <laughs> that's Gene Shepard. Now. And no, I was no. about to go into Long no. John Neville, but
0: let's go back to the blob. We'll get. Right.
1: That. <laughs> yeah. But this is all tied in, so it's not like remember that time at the cafeteria and. the it's not we're not throwing uh, our college
0: roommates under the bus right now we'll get to that at the end of this broadcast show um
1: (laughs) so uh now i saw this i'm gonna say the other movie comparable to this the channel 9 was curse of bigfoot and i don't know that i ever saw curse of bigfoot okay well we're gonna have to watch that okay it it, the weirdest fucking thing because it starts out it's clearly it's a 1975 film and it's just like you know Hippie kids in the in the forest, and they're talking about Bigfoot. There's nothing. Then they go to college. They go to class, and they they bring in this guest lecturer who's like this real uptight, you know, bespectacled guy who's seen it all. Like he's a shattered veteran of the world, and he's like, "I tell you, monsters are real." And then it's a flashback to a movie from the fifties with the same guy. Like it, it looks like the fifties. I don't know exactly. But they found the same professor, and it's like a dorky, like, come on, let's go out and the it. But it's a, it's a monster movie about a
0: Sasquatch. So, But it's, it's actually a different movie, but they found the star of yeah. that movie to do this. Right. Um,
1: um, Extensive intro, again, like to, to yeah. flesh it out to uh, feature length and to make it contemporary looking. Huh. And I, I mean, it's shit like I, what I remember in that is... Um, there's a dog like out in the backyard and we see the dog like just kind of hanging out and his tongue's hanging out and then somebody comes by and pets him and then she's petting him for like five minutes and then Bigfoot walks by and the dog gets scared and runs away and like that's the kind of padding that is in the movie. <laughs> so we should watch that, that because it, it was, and I remember it was one of the most jarring things. I actually like got like my friends and family like I was like, watch, watch, it's going to change now because yeah. it was shown a lot. Now- and um, but you just jogged a Gene Shepherd memory of mine. Um, he would occasionally make fun of. Uh, so WOR radio was tied in with WOR TV, and one week the million dollar movie. He said we have no advertise he said we have no budget because they paid for Frankenstein 1970 with Boris Karloff so he was going on about how terrible Frankenstein 1970
0: was. Yeah, Frankenstein 1970 was uh, I had this great book. Maybe you had it too. I think it had I can't remember what the cover was. It was kind of green. It was like a history of horror movies. Uh, and it had What was on the cover it's, I can
1: picture it so it's clearly It's either
0: Frankenstein Or it might be Phantom of the Opera might be Lone Chaney Right, Jr. I know I
1: can picture it yeah. yeah,
0: I actually looked it up A couple years ago And found it And found the cover And I, right. I, I meant to get A new copy of it but, Right uh, It had It had black and white stills From so many different movies That I'd never heard of Never seen And still haven't seen But terrified me Just from their Black and white stills alone like, Sure some kind of it from outer space thing, but it was like a Japanese, it looked like an early version of Alien, like this thing was attached to somebody's face. Right. And Frankenstein 1970, for some reason, is Peter Cushing in that movie?
1: Boris Karloff Karlo, Karlo, as the doctor. Okay. Yeah. Oh,
0: jeez. Oh, I, oh yes, I've seen Frankenstein 1970. Oh, deadly.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, the gimmick, I think it's from like 1955, mm-hmm. and the reason I always knew the title and freaked out when I heard the Gene Shepard reference was I used to go around because I was obsessed with the bombs in the Leonard Moulton book and and any kind of B-movie, and I would always ask adults, what's the worst movie you ever saw? And my uh, Uncle Bobby, like, automatically said, Frankenstein 1970. And uh, yeah, it's just so boring. The gimmick is like that they're going to televise Frankenstein bringing uh, a dead body back to life. Yes. Yes. uh, They do. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, Frankenstein 1970 reminds me of Radley Metzger's Camille 2000. Remind me me to tell you my favorite, one of my favorite anecdotes of all time, but about Camille 2000. I'll tell you that in a future episode. Good yes please. Um, but but okay so I now by the time Beware the Blob showed up on Channel Nine, I had seen the Blob on the four thirty movie. That was a big four thirty movie. Yes, that was a big four thirty movie. And that's yeah. that was I always loved the Blob and was super excited to find yeah. out that there was Son of Blob or Beware the Blob. Right. Um, and then now my memory of it, uh, and I haven't seen it since until yesterday, uh, but saw it however many times in those years. Um, I remember, um, uh, liking it, thinking it was really good and excited to see it and excited to see it again, but it also, it was, to me, it was one of these things, there was a time when I was probably five or six years old and I was sick, um, I don't know, I must have had a fever or something, but I was traveling in a car, uh, in the backseat of a car with my parents, I think we were on the East Side Drive for some reason, East River Drive. and there was a big, big bag of after-dinner mints on the on the, on the oh, back yeah. shelf of the car. And I just remember eating that whole bag of after-dinner mints while being sick. <laughs> and then after that, never being able to deal with the concept of after-dinner mints again. Like those chalky things. <laughs> like I,
1: I've never been able to eat one. Just the chalks. So, because sometimes you get the yeah, little with the jelly deli in, in
0: the, the middle. Thing. And both of those things. Which is nice, uh, yeah. I can't, yeah. and it's only because I ate too many of them when I was sick. Kind of like when you drink right. orange juice if you're si- when you're sick as a kid. Oh no,
1: I get it. Yeah, no. After dinner, the chalk with jelly would be something to right. not overindulge in. <laughs> and,
0: and for me, as a preteen and then a teenager, getting to see slasher films and 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 forcing myself and you know soaking up every slasher film I could find from Maniac to I Spit on Your Grave to blah blah, blah all that stuff. Uh, I I OD'd on them, and now I can't even think about watching any of them it's like i i I did too much of that and i can't do it anymore um and but beware the blob was kind of like that for me like at some point it got in my head it, it 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 turned nasty and it turned creepy and i i i remembered uh just feeling bummed out about it like i it gave me a bad feeling in my head but i will say watching it again yesterday uh I, if I had to say, if I had to come up with one word description of it, I would have to say Flawless or Masterpiece. I love this movie. <laughs> this movie is fantastic.
1: I, I am completely yeah. with you. Um, I will say this. Uh, It was one of those movies that would give me a headache mm-hmm. as a kid. I thought it was incredibly ugly. Mm. Uh, the way it looked and just the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. But watching it yesterday, I, I had a whole new, well, I had like an adult's you know, lifetime of experience yeah, to bring to it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, I really loved it. Yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah, and, you know, uh, horror well, comedies rightly have a get a bad name because there have right, been so many yes, terrible rightly, ones. Yes, yeah. And the whole concept sounds wrong, and it is wrong most of the time. But this kind of a horror comedy where the comedy is the comedy and it's funny and the horror is played straight, which it really is. But right. somehow they exist in this universe together, and you sort of buy that it's one cohesive universe that's both funny and scary. Uh, perfecto.
1: It's also, I have to say, it is utterly unique. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like Hagman is an actual orator. Yes. I mean, this is a vision yes. perfectly executed yes. that no one else could have pulled off. Yes, and it made me wonder about him. I want to read more about him. I want to read interviews with him. And
0: uh, I watched one thing. Did you did you find, look for him? Hagman talks uh, Beware the Blob on YouTube. Oh, no, no. There's a there's a clip. It's about a five minute clip. He's sitting there with Bill Daly and Barbara Eden at some convention. It's like you know, sometime in the early eighties or maybe mid eighties. And somebody asks him about it, and he, and he talks about it. Uh, he's pretty funny about it he's not he doesn't he doesn't disparage it too much um he says that he, you know he he makes up some figures which I don't think are accurate he says that it was made for 87 thousand dollars and I think I've seen a slightly higher price tag
1: it's, it's 150 on Wikipedia and then he says arbitrary. and it made 40
0: million dollars which I also think is no, way good <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but and not that, and he said I haven't seen any of that money but somebody so. right anyway I'm sorry so yeah so so uh, okay let's go let's let's talk about
1: this movie let's let's so let's, let's so, get into I mean, it. from the so and and this was an um, an incredible experience so from the opening images of this mm-hmm. film which is this adorable kitten playing in the grass yeah,
0: photographed by Dean Cundy, that, that that's that's yes
1: one. my mind completely like erupted I was like I remember this every yeah. detail I know everything everybody's gonna say everything that yeah. happens and really, what it was more than the kitten, though, was this bizarre song, which is incredible, and it's just called "Son of Blob" theme. And uh, I was like, I, I don't think we're allowed to, but this would be a great theme song for this show. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, like fairy tale music, and then surreally, so it, it, it it's it fades out, and screams come in. And it goes back to the happy music akin to so if you know the uh baroque hoedown by perry and kingsley which is the uh disneyland electric light parade music it's of that school which is music that i have been obsessed with at various times in my like 60s moog synthesizer we are talking about the opening theme and not what happens in the next scene with godfrey Cambridge, where there
0: is this sort of comic porn music that kind of kicks in
1: but okay, yeah, like, you know, no no no. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. The opening theme is insane, theme. which also is kind yeah. of But you're right keeps
0: it keeps fading into be. these screams, and they sound like kids screaming, and you're like what is going on here? Yeah, like is, is, is this kitten I, witnessing some death and destruction in the back of-
1: and the and fact It's sad because you know the kittens yeah. gonna get blobbed right away because he's there um but even when the kitten gets blobbed, I want to say it's not that bad. And it's actually, I was like, well, that's actually a very good plot device: how the blob gets out of the house and onto the grass and into yeah. the wild. Yeah,
0: and, and, and I also um, want to say that uh, that the that the reason my memory is that, that this film is such a bummer. What I realize now is that because, and this is the, the amazing one of the amazing things about this movie is a, as opposed to like a Friday the Thirteenth where the structure is the same: is that you're introduced to a bunch of people for a couple minutes and then you know they're going to get blobbed. But the thing about this movie is right. that by and large all of the characters are so appealing the performances are great yeah, yeah the yeah, characters yeah. are well realized hagman gives everyone enough room to do a little bit of business and you sort of get into them and then it's a bummer that they're going to get killed by the blob because you kind of want to
1: spend some more time with them and that to me is an adult thing like i've become you know i I really, with rare exceptions, and they have to be extremely artful or some other kind of uh, selling point. I can't watch horror movies anymore. Right. I'm just I'm not interested in them because I, I, it's like I, I, it's enough pain and suffering in the, in my life.
0: Yeah, that's that's. I think that's part of me in the slasher movie
1: stuff. But yeah, 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 and. Uh, you know, I, and I even felt that watching this, even though it's the blob and it's campy and just saying they're getting blobbed, is funny and they probably had a great time doing it. It's still a drag because it really is like one after another. It's like this mm-hmm. is a unique creation but with a, a un, unique actor being given right. room to improvise. Well, and right. And it starts
0: with Godfrey Cambridge. Um, and um, and what's her name? Who plays Godfrey's wife? Mar- Marlene Clark.
1: Yeah, I was like, what impressed me is that I've seen her entire filmography: Putney Swope, The Landlord, Night of the Cobra Woman, Slaughter, Ganja and Hess, The Beast Must Die, a Channel Eleven perennial that had the fright break. Mm-hmm. We had to guess who the werewolf was. Yeah, and Switchblades.
0: Right, and so she plays Godfrey Cambridge's wife. He's just come back from some sort of polar expedition, and he's brought back this sample of the blob and for some reason <laughs> right. he's camped out in their living room in a tent. Like I don't understand what that's about.
1: Right. It's a full campsite. Um, and to me that's just part of like the weird improv and and the whole counterculture vibe that you know let's we can get into that a little bit here. So there's a scene much later as there's like kind of one celebrity or semi-celebrity cameo after another where Hagman himself is with Burgess Meredith and Del Close, who is essentially the father of improv comedy as we understand it, from Second City and, you know, kind of raised everybody that we love in SETV and SNL and stuff. And um, it makes me wonder. And so much of it, like, when they get to the bowling alley is the socking it to the ugly American in the, you know, classic National Lampoon Fireside Theater tradition. So it's like was was is he, is he some kind of freak? Was he dropping acid, Larry Hagman? And we got to find that out.
0: Yeah, it seems like he was right, it, it, it,
1: especially in this in his
0: in his appearance yeah. in this. He's got the beard. Um, and he's and and of all the improv scenes, maybe the loosest and most sort like of like what the fuck were these guys <laughs> yeah, doing is the yeah. one with him and Burgess Meredith and Del Close, who I, I didn't recognize at first and was dreaming and he kind of looks a little like him. I thought sure, is this Bill sure. Daley? Yeah. Did are they doing yeah. an I dream of Genie reunion in the scene? Which would have been fantastic. Right. But yeah, those three guys, I don't no, understand a no. word any of them are saying or what they're carrying on about. Um, but yeah, Hagman definitely seemed like he was. Uh, he looked like uh, Sterling Hayden in
1: uh, the Long Goodbye, yeah, with the beard. Yeah, but it, it it breaks my heart that this was the only film he wound up yeah. directing. because. Even though they were developing Curse of Blob.
0: Yeah, he has that thing that some directors who had been or are actors that they have, where they 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 seem like they're really good with the other actors. They know how to, yeah, you know, they know they know how to cast a film, and then they know how to get the best out of their performers. Yeah. Because everyone
1: on this film is so appealing to me, and then, well, and, with a few exceptions, and then it looks so goddamn great, and that's a result yeah. of uh, Dean Cundey, I would imagine, and, and the other visual team.
0: Yeah, although he's not the main cinematographer, no, he's the he's second, like second unit. Second DP, unit. Yeah. He does like the he does all the animal work, but it is a really, I think, a good-looking film, and yeah. there are some amazing transfers available for free online right, right now, um, uh, if you know where to look for stuff. Go for it, um, but um, but I thought the special effects
1: are, are remarkably really good yeah. in this thing. Uh, and apparently, it was just it was silicone or something that they dyed, and, and it re- it worked very well. Yeah, a-, a lot of it is obviously
0: sort of like reversed footage yeah. where you know, so the thing looks like it's creeping up somebody's arm instead yeah. of just falling down. It, but but I never. It never distracted me from the movie. And no. every I mean, charmingly every so, that I was like, yeah. this works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, the real impressive one to me was when the fly initially gets eaten by the blob. So there's just a can of blob on the counter. And a fly lands into it and just goes, bloop, just slicks into it. I was like, that was really effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so poor Godfrey Cambridge. He gets blobbed. His wife gets blobbed. And then, uh, you know, this local lovely hippie chick shows up. Uh, Gwyn Guilford is the actress's name in real life she's the mother of actor Chris Pine yeah I'm the, she's like one of the few people in this
0: film that I wasn't really familiar with um, and I don't know that I've seen her or anything else but it no. is kind of interesting that,
1: that her son is Chris Pine is our modern uh, Captain Kirk yeah, yeah and then um, her boyfriend is uh, Robert Walker Jr and so I want to talk about this crazy phenomenon that happened to me throughout this movie yeah so I'm watching this, uh, and the guy kind he's a hippie, he's got long blonde hair and everything. I was like, ah, oh, he looks like Charlie X from Star Trek. It was Charlie X from Star Trek. And then later, so this happened a bunch of times. There are two hippies in a sewer pipe singing a song, an amazing song, smoking a joint. Yeah. And I was like, that chick looks like uh, Shirley from Laverne and Shirley. And it was really Cindy Williams. And then, uh, Garrett, so there's a party and a guy in a gorilla suit is like hamming it up. He takes his mask off. I was like, that looks a lot like Garrett Graham. It was Garrett Graham. That was a weird thing. But the guy who looks like Bud Court is not Bud Court.
0: Yeah, there's always one. (laughs) One turns out not to be the person you were thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Robert Walker Jr., I was trying to figure out what creeps me out about him. And at first I realized, oh, he's Charlie X and that character is so creepy yeah that maybe but I think it's more than that first of all he's got these eyes that are like too far apart from each other and, and, uh, and like a huge forehead color, yeah right? like yes. the Meg Foster
1: kind of light color yeah, yeah.
0: Now, in profile, he looks he looks like a ordinary sort of good-looking leading man, like a Chris Pine type. Yeah, but when you get his full-on face, he's got, well, first of all, you recognize him as Charlie X from Star Trek. Second of all, he's got these far-apart eyes. And then the third thing is, is that his father, Robert Walker, he looks identical to, and that's the killer right. from Strangers on a Train. And so... Another one of the creepiest characters yeah, of all time. absolutely. So, yeah. so this dude's got, like, the looks of the creep from Strange on a Train, and plus he was Charlie X. So he's got a lot right. going against him as a leading man. But having said that and gotten over that sort of creep factor, he's, he's good in this movie. He's really good, a
1: great hero. Yeah. I mean, he's essentially like the... Uh, you know, hippie era Steve McQueen from the original movie. He does a great job. This thing is much less a uh, sequel than it really is a
0: remake. It's sort of like reimagining the blob for hippie times. Right. It's like taking all those 50s small town tropes and turning them amazingly effectively into a thing about, you know, 70s culture and and, and hippies and, you know, I just think... They really, it's its more like that uh, Tom Savini remake of Night of the Living Dead, which is sort of right. like, you know, we're taking this movie, we're moving it uh, ahead culturally by 10 or 20 years and doing it all over again. And I think right. that they nailed it.
1: I, I would agree with you completely. So uh, the next prominent actor who turns up in the movie is Richard Stahl, who is the uh, harried local square. And the panicking hippies, Run his car off the road a couple of times. He has these comic breakdowns and freakouts because they knock out all his cases of Miller Genuine High Life, which many people drink many cans of throughout this. Yes. And, um. Yeah, talk to Stahl, me about Richard Stahl. He's one of the most familiar, uh, sitcom actors from the 70s and 80s. Bald guy, big nose. Um. And very funny. I, I did not realize he was a member of the committee, which was a. You know, one of those great hippie comedy troops like Fred Willard's Ace Trucking Company mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, The, the Credibility Gap. Um, and, uh, of course, the committee is in Billy Jack, which is one of my favorite movies. And and the scenes of the committee are what make that movie feel so fucking long. Yeah.
0: How great would it, it have been if in the middle of those committee scenes in Billy Jack, the blob had rolled in and
1: taken care of what <laughs> allowed so, yeah. us to move on to the Billy Jack portion? Of it the interrupted movie. their street theater, <laughs> as they yeah. say. Except for, like, one of the absolute best scenes of the movie is when the the kids from the freedom school go into town to meet the town council. Yes. And it's all improvised, and uh, Hessman and the other hippie from the committee are socking it to the people, uh, the you know, the townspeople who are just, like, the local conservatives. And Stahl is the chairman. And it's a really good scene because it shows that, you know, each group, brings out the worst in the other Mm -hmm. and Stahl is able to then Jean who's the groovy lady that runs the freedom school she invites Richard Stahl and his wife to come up to the school and hang out and then they see oh you know we can get along so It's a beautiful thing. We will do a Billy Jack spectacular at some point. So. Yeah, and
0: and I, it's interesting because the same thing kind of happens with Richard Stahl in this movie, in that he yeah he's yeah. the antagonist for the first half of the movie. He's constantly chasing Robert Walker and 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 Chris Pine's mom around town, like he wants them arrested. Well, yeah. yeah, Gwen Guilford. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but by the end, he's uh, you know he's on their side, and they're battling right. together yeah. to. Uh, and that's, that's another thing I liked about this movie is that it sort of takes those traditional sort of antagonistic relationships and just smooths them out. And, you know, there aren't
1: any real bad guys in this movie except for the blob. No. Yeah, it blobs them out in a positive way just to beat the blob. Yeah. Um, I want to say also just a little plug here. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Stahl plays Mr. Flugel, the drunken handsy dad in uh, private school. Available now from Blue on Blu-ray from Shout Factory with a commentary by myself and Crackpot Cinema co-host Aaron Lee. Nice. And Ben and I, we can not announce the name of the film, but we recently did a uh, commentary for a Blu-ray that'll be coming out. When do we get to announce our Blu-ray? Uh, it's up to the company. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, normally they're very like, like some of them make you sign like a you know non-disclosure oh, really? or everything until. Okay. That thing. Right. But then I, I did one yesterday, and Cat Ellinger was like. Uh, we did a commentary for this Tony Curtis. I was like, okay, I'll announce it too. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, I saw that and I was like, hey, how yeah. come we can't say what we did? Kat Ellinger's
1: busy blabbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Kat. She's the best. And we had a great time with that movie. Yeah, yeah. So we, let's get back on track. All here. right. Uh, but uh, so, oh, The Hippies in the uh, Sewer Pipe. We should talk about that song, Captain Coke. Just yeah. completely incredible.
0: Yeah, that's a crazy a crazy number.
1: And the, the guy playing that is uh, Randy Stonehill, who is uh, one of the pillars of contemporary Christian rock, <laughs> like one of the forefathers of 70s Christian rock. And what made it interesting is that he put out, like, New Wave Christian albums oh. that I want to hear
0: now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I want to hear those, too. I like that tunnel scene because then the cops show up, and there's a really nice little... Sort of scare moment where the one cop is talking to them and all of a sudden he looks up to his left because there's some kind of noise. And I think as the audience that it's the blob coming to get him. But it's really right. it's just one of those jump scares and it turns out to just be his, right. his fellow sheriff. But I thought this is another nicely directed, nicely shot moment and, you know, a good little scare. Nice job, Larry yeah. Hagman.
1: Truly, yeah. So, uh, you know, and then the Blob's Reign of Terror is like a lot of comedic cameos. So you have Dick Van Patten as a scoutmaster. All that stuff was really funny. Yeah, though Um, we never get to see what happens to Dick, right? He just sort of... Uh, Yeah, no, that was one thing. I I read that he was Blob, but I I didn't see any blobbing going on. But do
0: you know that that little blonde scout who has the most business with the cigarette lighter and shows up again at the end, that's Larry Hagman's son
1: oh i yes. did not
0: know That's yes. good. yeah also here's i wanted to say one other thing about godfrey cambridge godfrey cambridge is yeah. the star of another movie that I, was theoretically a comedy but haunted me as a kid um uh, that also would show up i think on the 430 movie maybe million dollar movie i don't know the watermelon man you ever seen this thing
1: i have yeah where yeah, yeah. it, it I know. I, I saw it. I think it was late night on television. It Wasn't the fourth? Or oh,
0: okay. Movie. Well, I wouldn't have been late night yeah. for me. So at some point it got right. shown, and uh, that's amazing that they would show that as an after school <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe it was a weekend. movie. I don't know, but it, it right. definitely wasn't yeah. late night for me. But um, well, what is the premise? I forget. Is he a black guy who turns white, or a white guy who turns black? In there?
1: You know, I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> I think he's a white guy who turns black. But for some reason... I can't remember. Yeah. It might, it, and I know there's a, like, a, uh, like an underground lesbian remake called The Watermelon Woman from the 90s. Oh, really? And that, Not a remake, but like a reimagining. Okay. And know? that's,
0: again, about somebody who changes skin color? It's, I think it's the same oh.
1: premise, but I don't remember the racial mm. direction of the switcheroonie. Right. All right, we might we might have, we might yeah, have no, to
0: revisit the watermelon man. Yeah, bad. no,
1: no, we definitely will. That'd be a great <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, we'll just tiptoe carefully <laughs> as hell through that yeah. one. What else was What else was Godfrey Cambridge in? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head, no, but he was a familiar presence. Uh, I think he was on like Laughing mm-hmm. and things like that. It's like, see, you'd see him; he was around. I'm gonna, I'll look him up while we uh, talk. Very funny in this movie. So, uh. Yeah, one of the things that I remembered wrong happily about this was uh, the naked Turk in the bathtub, who's this big, fat, like, Tor Johnson-looking dude uh, with a fez on it. And he uh, played by pro wrestler, much like Tor Johnson, uh, Tiger Joe Marsh. And he has a little Yorkie dog, and I remembered him... Throwing the dog into the blob, like to feed the blob, but that does not happen. No, he doesn't
0: throw him in, but he also kind of encourages him to go investigate. So he yeah. almost yeah. throws him yeah. in, but you're right; he, it's not yeah.
1: malicious, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he's but, like uh, the uh, he's like the Iron Sheik, but like 20 years earlier. And I was looking through his credits, and I liked that in the Swinger from 1966, he plays burly Greek. So he had a handle on the. Uh, large you know the body descriptive uh ethnic types for a while all right let me just
0: give you two godfrey cambridge titles while we or three because one came up last week but uh he was gravedigger jones in cotton comes to harlem
1: oh yes he's also
0: in bye bye braverman
1: wow okay i just saw that not not too long ago thanks to gilbert godfrey yeah
0: right a big Gilbert movie. And The President's Analyst, which we mentioned last
1: time. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Well, that's... Because those... why? Because Severn Darden was in that one, too? That must have been. Why? Yeah, because yeah. that came up. Yeah. And, um, yes. And I misidentified Severin Darden. That was... A, we'll do a fact check at some point. Yeah, we'll do it at the end there. After yeah. we're done discussing Beware the Blob. So... Okay. Uh, um, you know, and then it all leads to this... You know, very you know, exciting, well executed action climax, special effects climax. I thought the blob coming through the lanes in the bowling alley was as cool a monster effect as I've ever seen.
0: I don't even know how they did it. I, there's a bunch of shots in this movie which I'm assuming are miniatures. Right. They have to be miniatures, but they don't look like miniatures.
1: No. Yeah, I including was that, that myself. shot you're describing.
0: Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. These are like some of the best miniatures I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> beware, beware the blob. The blob. <laughs> Um. yeah uh, oh let's talk about Shelley Berman yeah um, who plays a uh, barber in this yeah do you know who plays the kid who's gonna get the haircut
1: I don't offhand no I they had a up. nice chemistry it was a they nice did that's a good scene. scene and Shelley Berman is most familiar to audiences now as Larry David's father in Curb Your Enthusiasm but uh, like Del Close, you know, one of the pioneers, or architects of modern comedy, uh, hip stand-up comic in the '50s, along with like you know Mort Saul and and uh, you know a more commercial version of Lenny Bruce, but no less uh, impactful or innovative. Yeah, you know, you
0: recently watched, and then I watched because I was listening to your podcast, um, "Cracking Up." Yes, which is a bunch of improv comedy yeah. guys doing bits and. What what struck me a couple of days later watching Beware the Blob is how much better shot and acted. Oh, all of these it doesn't compare. Comedy
1: scenes are. I want to say the difference is probably the drugs because clearly this is like acid influenced, and mm-hmm. Beware the Blob is nineteen seventy seven cocaine gone wild. So, uh, cracking up is. Yeah, that's what I meant. Cracking up. Yeah. Yeah. No, Beware the Blob is acid. Cracking up is cocaine. Yeah.
0: This movie reminds me um, of some. I, I suppose Larry Cohen was making movies at the same time, but this one certainly his movie "The Stuff" was kind of right. like his blob movie, and, sure. and, and and and
1: I think tries to ad- adopt this sort of a similar tone. Um, With a much more pointed, uh, you know, satirical mission right. and what have you. This is just a right. really well made, my- unique monster movie set in this weird hippie world of California. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. The guy who plays the sheriff. Um, oh,
1: Richard Webb. Right. What some of his uh, interesting credits?
0: He was a... Um, he appeared in more than 50 films, including many westerns, and he was also in Out of the Past, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, I Was a Communist for the FBI... Carson City. He may best be remembered today as the star of the fifty television series Captain Midnight. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he was. I thought he. I thought his character was interesting because, for the most part, he's played sympathetically, and he seems yeah. to be
1: sympathetic towards the hippie kids. Towards the kids, he's he's tolerant of them. Yeah, although yeah. he has this
0: one crazy racist moment with uh, his black deputy. Right. Right. When he says, "What the hell does he say?" He says. um, about
1: eyes and use yeah it's i mean you know <laughs> just very indicative of the time yeah but still not you know not beyond the realm of affection between co-workers and friends right although he's that's also the same guy that he banishes to the
0: coffee shop during the climax of the that's right yeah but then he, he also seen Night of the living dead probably right yeah. but then he also takes a turn at the end where it's his sort of um arrogance and pomposity that, that as he makes a speech to the TV cameras it winds up yeah. um, costing him big time
1: <laughs> yes so he's making so as usual they freeze the blob yeah. in all versions of the blob and uh yeah the sheriff is right he's he's puffing up his own uh he's tooting his own horn as we say and uh, a TV light falls onto the frozen blob and defrosts a little piece of it and we get the you know the great the end question mark ending. Yeah. You know who I love in this film is Carol Linley. Yes. And well she's always a treat.
0: And I was trying to figure out what it is that I loved her most in and why what I why I know her so well. And I still am not sure, but I realize she is the star of Bunny Lake Is Missing, and that's a movie I, I yeah. like a lot. But what do you that's an amazing movie, yeah. What's what do you think of when you think of
1: Carol Lindley? Uh, I don't I can't think give me a second here because now I'm blanking now I'm blanking (laughs) Bunny Lake is a rock solid one yeah
0: it's great but I don't think that that's the movie I feel like Carol Lindley made an impression on me in my childhood and that wouldn't have been Bunny Lake which I got into later on no
1: and maybe it's this movie I don't know but I feel like that's a good point because it could be Beware the Blob, and then you were just she was just stuck in your head. So, uh, Well, she was also in Poseidon Adventure. Oh, that's it. That's the answer. That's who I think. When I think of her, I think of the Poseidon Adventure. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, just going through her credits now, there's a lot of interesting... Under the Yum Yum Tree was a movie that used to be on uh, mm-hmm. TV a lot when we were kids. Oh, and she was in The Night Stalker. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, The Poseidon Adventure and The Night Stalker is right. some... You know, that's both the same year as this uh, nineteen seventy two. How about that?
0: Now I didn't realize that she's in Balboa.
1: I, I had no idea. I don't know what Balboa is. Oh, isn't that one of the?
0: Oh, that's not the Rocky movie.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what. It, no, I no, that's Rocky what, Balboa. I don't know what Balboa is. Either. No, this Balboa is from nineteen eighty
0: three. Yeah, and and um, when you click on it, the Wikipedia page takes you nowhere.
1: yeah she's in the Maltese Bippy which I did try to watch a couple years ago and failed on TCM I like that she's got a 2003 credit called the light
0: in the forest and Wikipedia lets you know no connection with the 1958 movie okay (laughs) and then you can just close the page thank you that's the information I was looking for (laughs) yeah um uh, she was a very. She's been on. She was on eleven episodes of Fantasy Island as Vera's character. So. Oh well, see, this is how we yeah. know her. I mean, she's just yeah. But she's a she's so, a pleasure. I like her a lot.
1: Always a treat. Um, all right, so let's talk a bit about. I mean, th- so that's sort of the movie we gave you. Uh, Jack H. Harris, yeah, who was the executive producer. Uh, executive produced the original Blob in 1958. Uh, Beware the Blob, and then the 1988 remake which has become this great, like, beloved cult film. I saw it once. I didn't didn't like it. I didn't like it either. I saw it when it came out. I was like, this is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The one interesting character in it is the preacher, like the the crazed kind of, you know, leisure-suited preacher who, like, you know, rescues the blob to bring on Armageddon. And that's played by Del Close, which is a nice little... uh, I did not know that until today. But I want to say... the, the shocking thing, so Jack H. Harris doing a little research, he sort of like, he worked on The Twilight Zone and It's About Time, that sitcom and uh, so and so he sort of comes off as like this Fari Ackerman you know, like grandpa of all the mon- monster kids of the 60s type, uh, I would say with two exceptions I have seen his entire canon, so you get the blob 4D Man from 1959 Dinosaurus which is a movie I remember <laughs> circling in TV Guide based on the title when I was like seven years old. Like, do not miss dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, Equinox, which is a crazy masterpiece.
0: Now, Equinox is a movie, and this is going to be a frequent theme of mine as we go through these movies, is that this is one of these movies that really bummed me out as a kid. Equinox is yeah. one of those movies <laughs> that, has the, that out of nowhere has like an, a, an unhappy, end, a twist ending. True, and yeah. it really bummed me out for like the wow. next twenty years. But yeah, that's a great movie, Equinox.
1: I didn't get to see it as a kid. I didn't see oh. it until the nineties. Yeah, see, that
0: was a Channel Eleven or Channel
1: Nine um, special as well. Somehow it escaped me. Hmm. Uh, Schlock, the John Landis movie, uh, Dark Star, The Carpenter, Eyes of <laughs> Laura Mars, which hmm. is the you know written by John Carpenter, Star Slammer, the Fred Olin Ray movie from eighty six, and then of, uh, the blob. So the two exceptions that I never saw uh, that Jackie Charles, Master of Horror from 65 and Unkissed Bride, which I don't know. I also I haven't seen Blobbermouth. I've never heard of it from 1991. But I remember being intrigued because I mean, so what it is, is it's like, you know, Fireside Theater's Jamin Forever or Woody Allen's What's Up Tiger Lily. It's just the blob with funny dialogue dumped into it. The 58 blob. And I remember seeing like something about it on Entertainment Tonight. And it seemed like they were preparing this in 1991 for a theatrical release. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird enough that I'd have to go see it in a theater. And then this is a a tangent. We're we're deep enough in the show we can go on side tangents here. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, Also in 91, so there was that shitty uh, Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie, which I actually did fall asleep in. And... um, but I read at the time that the ribald Tales of Robin Hood from 1969, which is a German softcore movie, got a theatrical re-release. And I was like, it, I, I was waiting for it or it was going to get the theatrical re- And as far as I know, it did not play New York. And I was like almost exclusively seeing movies on 42nd Street at that point. So, I mean, it would have played there if yeah. it was playing anywhere. So, But I mean, it didn't get like a midnight release or anything, but... You know, the odd thing, though, maybe it did because at that time in the 90s, there were like no midnight movies in New York. Hmm. Like once the A Street Playhouse closed and, and home video really killed that for a long time. They remained big in Chicago and, and especially Los Angeles in particular. But um, in New York, there was just a dearth of them. There was the one Rocky Horror.
0: So you never got to see Blobbermouth and you never got to see the no. the ribald tales
1: of... Uh than- uh, I have since seen a little bit of Rival oh, okay. Tales because something weird video put it out and I was like, well, I got to watch right. it. Yeah, no, it's a German sex movie from 1969. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I put it in and then, you know, uh-huh. it didn't last long. <laughs> it wasn't ribald enough for me. Uh-huh. So um, the co-writer Jack Woods was the director of Equinox. Ah. uh uh-huh. and then And then Dean Kundi who worked on the uh, was the second unit DP, uh, was then Carpenter's DP on Halloween in the Fog, and then, as I wrote in my notes here, all the biggest Spielberg and Zemeckis crap in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah. But he has a great exploitation uh, filmography, too. Uh, that includes Rock and Roll High School, Ilsa Harem, Keeper of the Oil Sheiks, Black Shampoo. In fact, uh, Graydon Carter, who directed Black Shampoo, used him a lot. He used him for Without Warning. Hmm. Um creature from black lake, Rui ray, ray moore's human tornado and satan's cheerleaders which was a channel 5 perennial.
0: Yes. I used to see that on oh, there yes. all the time. He might be my personal favorite cinematographer. I mean he he you know growing up I, I thought he was you know just right. on the basis of Halloween alone. But sure, ho- the guy sure. who did Halloween, Rock and Roll High School and Second Unit on Beware the Blob, I mean that's <laughs> <laughs> he's a- That's a resume, man. As a sainted figure. And the thing. Carpenter's the thing. Uh, Yeah, he's a genius, Dean Cundy. Who else you got?
1: Uh, I'm in my notes where it says notes on the previous episode. Whatever it was I got wrong. So that was Severn Darden, who I uh, incorrectly identified as the evil dean in Real Genius. And someone wrote to the rescue and informed Ben that I was wrong. So that's corrected now. Severn Darden was a uh, sympathetic professor in Real Genius. Dean Cundy, I guess he didn't direct it. He, he, his his directorial
0: debut is Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Oh, that was a Disneyland attraction. Okay, there you go.
1: I saw that. Oh, look at you. It was good. <laughs> it was really good. It was one of those 3D, you know, surround, like they spray you with water and stuff. All right. Hmm.
0: Uh, He shot
1: the Adam Sandler movie, uh, Jack and Jill. <laughs> a movie I love. There you go. Which has also become a, uh, as Danny Peary puts in the back of the guide for the film, The Fanatic, a CM. Uh, the Alamo Draft House has screened that uh, back when... You know, we should know, we are in, you know, the plague times, but yeah. back when they had weird Wednesdays, Jack and Jill had become one of their most popular films.
0: Wow. So what is yeah. CM In recent years. Cult movie. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: He has like all these like little, uh, not every movie. So in the back of this book, so Danny Peary is a hugely influential on me, author of cult movies and a book called Guy for the Film Fanatic. In the back, he says, so I've given you 500 movies. Here are like a thousand more. And it's just titles. And once in a while, he'll say, like, he has, like, a little letter guide that says, like, CM, cult movie, CC, camp classic, uh, PR, personal recommendation, S, sleeper, and the best one is T, trash, non-essential. <laughs> and the only one I can think of, and this is what's killing me, is I just had to rebuy the guide for the film fanatic because of all the books I own. It's the one that falls apart the most. Yeah. Uh, the only one I remember is the The Undertaker and His Pals, uh, T. That's the Not only non-essential. No, no, no. There's a couple of T's. Oh. I think there's three T's, but oh, okay. that's the only one that I can think of. Oh, at the moment. I see so I'm, got I'm stymied till I get that uh, used guide for the film fanatic. All right. Here's here's my
0: here, here's our report from the rabbit hole that I that we went down with our friends and with ourselves after last week's podcast. And this is good because we've talked an hour more or less about the blob. And if yeah, we're trying to no, keep, we did it. We're trying to keep these things to seventy minutes for seventy films in the seventies that we saw. So we have a good ten minutes to kill now, you guys. If you you're not interested in our personal crap, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> you are. We're going to spend ten minutes correcting shit we said incorrectly last week and settling some scores, issuing some apologies, um, uh, doubling down on, <laughs> on some on some insults. Uh, first of all, John Tell, I was going to say, let's start with John <laughs> Tell. My college roommate heard me refer to him as my dumbass roommate and, <laughs> and, and then texted me, dumbass? Seriously? Yeah, you dumbass.
1: <laughs> no, I John love you, John also you, John. reminded me of something I had completely forgotten. Yes, good. Where I said in college that I had met Howard Stern and shook his hand and talked to him. 80% of that is a lie. So it was a was a lie. I will say uh, some percentage of that. What it was, I, I completely forgot I did this. So in high school, uh, in the summertime, I worked these Irish mafia union jobs as like a doorman or an elevator operator in these buildings in Manhattan. And it was like to make sure I had like no social life and it, like my development as a human being would be stunted. Right, sure. I'd work either four <laughs> to midnight or midnight to eight. And you definitely wanted the midnight to eight because you could read and, and do whatever you wanted. But um, I was working. I did a midnight to eight once. And I was listening to Howard. I snuck it. And um, so I was not far from K-Rock. And I heard him say something. So the, the I believe it was the program director. was named Pat Evans at that time. So this is 86. And he said, Pat is out scouting some location or something. So I said, I, I'm, I'm going to go see if I can just meet Howard. So I went up and told the receptionist, I'm Pat Evans' nephew, and I'm going to meet her later. Can I just hang out here for a little bit? And the receptionist said, sure, that's fine. She'll be back later. So I hung out. I picked a good time. Like, I timed it for when the show would be over. And um, I, I sat about 20 minutes, and then, yeah, Howard walked through the lobby, and I, I waved, like, hey. And he, like he gave me a little acknowledgement, like, hey. No, there was no handshake, no talk, which is why I completely forgot that right. it
0: ever happened. Yeah, you so. didn't forget the story. You forgot the lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Happen, yeah, ha- exactly. Yes, happens yeah. to me
1: all yeah. the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so thank you, John Tell, for bringing that back. Yeah. I want to say, how it was like before he went rock and roll, he was wearing like a mint green Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> that I thought actually looked I mean much cooler, obviously, than the way he actually dresses right, uh, right. or has since then. John also says it was he who
0: uttered the line... If we don't get more listeners I'm gonna kill myself so I don't know he might have the tape to well I don't
1: want to say so I want to say John that was not a uh, a comment against you having the wit to say such a thing I just thought you didn't have the evil streak that Ben had in, uh, in college to say such little a little thing. do you know of John tell because <laughs> John is very funny and I really I really like worshiped you guys yeah, that was crazy. But I about, got there, but I it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have to have John Teller on the show at some point. Though I don't know if he ever saw any movies in the seventies. my sense of John Teller, he, <laughs> he lived like a veal, like in a box <laughs> in, in Long Island. Well, do you remember the name Manhattan? of the town? No, Island, was it wasn't. Yeah, was it wasn't Dix Hills. Dix, Dix, Dix Hills. Hills. Yeah.
1: Dix Hills. Yeah.
0: Um. You know, he came to. <laughs> he came to school. We were, we were both a year ahead of you, or two years ahead of you, I guess. Two years, um, yeah. And I met him the, our, my first night on campus at SUNY Purchase in 1984. And he was famous uh, that first week of school because first week of school was sort of like, yeah, everyone's running around through the dorms yeah. um, and trying to, you know, um, hook up and uh, drinking and smoking, whatever the hell people were doing. But he was famous. Uh, I Everyone knew who he was because the old. Oh, who, have you seen that kid wearing the dashiki? That was John Telt from, from Dick Stills <laughs> <laughs> the first week in college with a fucking dashiki. So that's John Telt. Wow. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That, I mean, but that was cool, oh, man. yeah, really I mean, cool. You
0: know. <laughs> uh, okay, then uh, Bill de Blasio, who uh, I, we mentioned is the, one of the um, f- uh, failed jock conservatives. Who? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> Went to SUNY Purchase Uh, I I, I tagged him on Facebook Because we mentioned him in the uh, Podcast and he wrote uh, That link sucks I can't listen for more than a few minutes at a time And then it freezes And then I said sounds like a user error Or shitty equipment to me but feel free to download The episode and listen Wherever and whenever and I sent him the SoundCloud Link and then he responded to say It's a goddamn iPhone X And there ain't no user error I clicked on it And it played for about four (laughs) minutes so, <laughs> fuck you, Bill de Blasio. Don't listen to our show. I don't give a shit. Fuck off. Uh, wow. Now, Jim Healy is the guy who said you were wrong about Severin Darden, but you already cleared that up, right? In, evil, in yes, real genius, yes. he's not evil. I want to put myself in a hole right now, and I, this is something I I would bet you're not going to agree with me, and maybe this isn't even a thing for anybody but me, but I, I, I tend to like... Uh, uh, pair movies, like to, to find two movies that I, that I associate with each other for some reason and then pick a favorite. And I, I don't know, I sure. just find myself doing this with weird... So for me, uh, Real Genius was always paired with Weird Science, and and for Obviously, me, yeah. I'm yeah. a weird science guy. I always preferred weird science at the time to Real Genius. Now if I watch them again now I might not feel the same, but I don't have any interest in in rectifying my opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you watch them again now it would clearly change. Now weird science was really funny, mm-hmm. but I always thought there was more to Real yeah, Genius. I don't want I, mean, I don't want to stand by two. that. I don't yeah. need any more to I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also thought it was really funny as yeah. well, so and I've never seen My Science Project. They all came out the same summer. Now, who's in My Science of Project? 85. Dennis Hopper. <laughs> it's a Disney movie.
0: <laughs>
1: but the weird thing is like, so I'll write like, uh, you know, I, I should say I, I didn't see it, but I kind of put it on in the background because for when I was writing Teen Movie Hell to to be able to, you know, pay a little attention to take notes and stuff. So I'd be like, God, my science project is complete shit. Like I'll just I would just say that on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and then a hundred people would say, You don't know what you're talking right, about. This right. is so important to me. It's like no matter what the shit movie is. Right. You just get, yeah. you know. There's always a hundred people get, willing to defend anything. Right. You gotta just keep it to the last ten minutes of the podcast. So <laughs> so fuck you, my science project.
0: Um Okay. uh, Oh, so I wound up falling down this J. Lee Thompson rabbit hole because in addition to us talking about Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which he directed last week, uh, at the same time uh, at my job, uh, UW Cinematheque, we were about to premiere uh, online for free uh, a limited time screening of a movie that we name checked last week uh, called Ice Cold and Alex. And I'm happy to report that I have now seen Ice Cold and Alex. I actually now know what the title means, although I'm not going to spoil it for anyone here. But it's a fantastic title and it's a fantastic movie. Fantastic. Such a great movie. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm going to watch that this Do coming it. weekend. Do it. Do it tonight. I will. Forget yes. about this weekend. Um, uh, then also, I wound up seeing a bunch of other J. Lee Thompson movies because... Uh, Uh, Jim and I were going to talk about it on our Tech podcast, and um, we were also going to interview the uh, editor, Mark Goldblatt, who um, cut a J. Lee Thompson film called The Ambassador in the 1980s. So I got to see um, uh, Reincarnation of Peter Proud and Ten to Midnight. That was a Channel 9 favorite. Reincarnation
1: Reincarnation. of
0: Peter Proud and Ten to Midnight, and I also... Got to see all of Murphy's Law, uh, which we talked about right. last week. And by the <laughs> yes. way, on the Murphy's Law Blu-ray, there is a commentary track by Kathleen Wilhoyt, which is uh oh, super damn. entertaining. You got to hear that, and yeah. absolutely, she is her whole character is like a rude girl. Uh, you know, she's supposed to be this yeah. potty mouth. Rude girl, but but as she mentions on the commentary track and it hit me even before I listened to her commentary track, at some point before they actually shot the movie and after they wrote the script, they rewrote all her dialogue so that instead of saying like really good like swear words and stuff, she's always saying stuff like yeah. she's always calling Bronson like butt crust or pubic hair or dildo <laughs> nose or snot licking donkey fart. It's like all this stupid like feckless yeah. kind of like half ass swear words. Right. But there's this one amazing exchange that I love so much. And I, maybe I'll try to find a sound clip of it, but if not, I'll just repeat it here. Uh, and it's like the only time in the movie that I was like, Oh, this is a really good back and forth with her and Bronson. He goes, and I don't do a good Bronson, but you do. So you could, yeah. why don't you do the line? Yeah. He says, why don't you watch your mouth? Do that as Bronson.
1: All right. Why don't you watch your mouth?
0: And then she says, why don't you watch your asshole, asshole? <laughs> I can't see it. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so that's good. And I think we should also mention that um, Jay Lee not only directed Conquest, but he also directed The Unwatchable, as Mike McPatton says, uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, so, boy, oh boy. Took the yeah. good and the bad. Yeah. Um, so that's it for my story. Stuff that we went down the rabbit hole. Do you have anything else so, you need to clear up from last week?
1: No, I think this was a oh, this was tremendous. This so. was great. We should discuss what we're gonna. So people are like, do you have the seventy movies picked? I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. we don't. I mean, you know, hopefully it'll be seven hundred movies. I just it was just a catchy name. So, um, you mentioned Benji. I yeah, know that's up on Amazon Prime. You up for that? Or I'd love to do Benji. Let's do that. Okay, um,
0: and then soon. Uh, we might have a special guest to talk about. Yeah, and let's let's do this in a couple weeks because I gotta probably hook you up with a copy of the movie to watch. Um, two minute warning. Oh yeah, please, please, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, and we have the yeah. return. I'll find it. I'll <laughs> see if I can find. Uh, well, it. Well, I, I think have. I've got one though. Um, I oh yeah, I have please. that will be on. great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great, great. No, that that'll be momentous. That'll be momentous. That'll be too momentous.
0: Yeah, that's gonna like be a wild, A wild episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah let's let's yeah let's change the pace here with uh Benji
1: the original Benji All right So uh, we don't have a sign off we got to work on that too so Oh yeah um
0: fuck you Bill De Blasio
1: I think that's <laughs> <story>. good night <laughs>